when we look at food as just like a relationship, like, Mm -hmm. whoa, this is a relationship that's crying out for help. Like it just wants to be healthy. The relationship wants to be healthy. And this is its help cry. So I begin working with people around this and what starts happening in this really organic way was I would hear my own voice starting to reference the scripture in a way that is not how, like I would be in the middle of a coaching thing and I would say, well, perfect love casts out fear. So what's a perfect love? It's the absolute healthiest relationship. Would you agree that in a perfect love, you've got the epitome of your health? That's the healthiest relationship you can have with someone is a perfect love. There's no imperfections. Yeah, they they could agree to that. And I would say, well, if a perfect love casts out fear in the Bible, the word fear means consequence or punishment. So I know I'm in the healthiest of relationship to something when there's no room to think about the consequence. Like I'm not doing it because I'm afraid that, well, if I eat this, I'm afraid that I'm going to get fat. Well, now I'm gauging the health of my relationship because if it's based on what I'm afraid of happening, I'm not in a healthy relationship. Jesus said that we were going to have life and have it to the full. So to have a full life, I want to, what would make my life full? I'm in a healthy relationship with something when I know I'm doing this because it makes my life fuller. So now instead of not eating sugar, because I'm afraid that I'm going to get fat, okay, or that that's not on, that's not in the rules. I now have a gauge. I'm not in a healthy relationship. When I say I'm eating oranges because they're really nutritious, now I'm in a healthy relationship. What's up, you beautiful beasts? I'm Katie. I'm on a mission to help humans become the best possible versions of themselves and to strive for overall health, mental health, emotional health, physical health, all of the healths without ever having to step on a scale. I have had the privilege to talk to all kinds of different humans who've been through a plethora of experiences just being a human and existing. I believe that every single time somebody shares their story, at least one person listening will learn from it, be inspired by it, and maybe, just maybe, even change the entire direction of their life. These are the stories of humans unveiling their beautiful beast. Keep listening. This is the Unveiling the Beast podcast. What up, Beast? Welcome back to the show. I am back again with Amanda Lurse. This is part two of a two-part episode. So if you didn't watch episode 61, I highly recommend you go watch that first or listen to that first um, so that this episode will make sense to you. Buckle up. Wow. So here we are again. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome back. Thank we you. have to hear the ending. So, well, I mean, the I know there's not really an ending because you're still alive. So, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So, no, part one really dived into um, all the events that were happening in my life that would ultimately lead up to a huge change that I have come to understand as my spiritual awakening. Mm -hmm. And I know when we ended last time, um, I had described being in California, being in a lot of turmoil, having made it home um, with all of this processing going on in my mind that I didn't know how to process. So all, all of the turmoil in my mind that I didn't know how to process and having to come back to my real day-to-day life like it didn't stop while I was gone um I had to come home yeah I didn't know what was happening and I was just terrified nothing made sense so if thinking back on Prior to sort of this moment that you will, this moment, this experience, this, this moment in time, what would have comforted me was a faith. So now the very thing 
that I have known to go to um, say prayer or reach out to a Jesus character, um, all of a sudden doesn't feel like comfort. Mm. It feels like more confusion. So at the time when I am starving for some form of comfort, the thing that I know to go to creates more discomfort. So this began a season of evaluation. I, in that moment of coming home, being in all the amped state that I was in biologically, emotionally, psychologically, my system just frazzled, running on the no sleep, the caffeine, all the things we've talked about and is now complicated with the racing thoughts, panic attacks that I don't know what those are. And once again, I don't realize that's what they are. Yeah. I never had before. <clears throat> so that, excuse me, <clears throat> physical experience as well. Not knowing what was going to happen. It felt like doom. It felt like I had a gray cloud that I couldn't escape. I don't know what to do. And I didn't have words to tell the people who were around me, who loved me, who didn't know what to do with me. When I returned home uh, the night in the bed, when I took my husband's arm and said, something is wrong, my thoughts are racing. I don't know why, but something is wrong and I am scared. Lots of things would unfold. First of all, he was very supportive in that night and being there to hold me and, um, just be with me. He didn't know the answer. And for any of your listeners who ever find themselves in this situation, that's okay. I didn't really need that. I needed to know I was safe and that this person, it didn't matter that, that I didn't understand. It didn't matter that I didn't know what I needed. I, but there was a safety somewhere because remember, my mind doesn't feel safe. My body doesn't feel safe. My faith doesn't feel safe. This person just sitting there with me in the night felt safe. It, it, it was like a tiny island in a storm. Tiny, mm -hmm. but there. So this would go through the night. And by the next day, I was completely, my body had completely shut down. Just 100% shut down. Fetal position eating and drinking are out. It cannot get out of bed, which means I cannot go to work, which means I now have to call into work after just coming off. Like, you know, I had taken requested time off. Right. So here and now like, oh, Amanda's due back from work and she calls in sick. Right. Um, my body was past functioning. It, it was in a total shutdown state. And Everything about this, um, as the days would go on, I wasn't able to return to work for like a week. And now it feels really public because now people have questions. Where were you? I had to tell them yeah. I fall in sick to my boss. Um, I had, as most people who have a day job, the company has certain policies. If you're gone past this many days, like you need some kind of note or something, you don't just get to call in sick for five to seven days in a row and yeah. come back, just no questions asked, right? Yeah. People are reaching out. My phone is blowing up. Hey, we're in at work. Is everything okay? Haven't seen you for a while. I've gone ghost from everyone. Questions. Every question felt terrifying because I did not have an answer. I did not have an answer. As the weeks and months would continue to unfold, there was, um, and for those who are curious, the physical, there were physical symptoms is really what I'm trying to indicate. Everything had gone um, so far that there were physical symptoms. I'm not sure if we talked about this last time, but I often reference the work of Gaber Mate. I think we might've mentioned him when the body mm -hmm. says no. And he wrote yeah. a book, right? On when we don't say no, uh, eventually there comes a point where the body says no. And looking back, this was my experience in 
this panic attack, this shutting down of my physical body, this erratic behavior of my nervous system, uh, the racing of my mind was an entire culmination of all the things that I had been doing that don't align, all the ways that I had suppressed myself, tried to follow all the rules, um, control external things, as we talked about. I remember in our last interview, you said that must be exhausting. This was yeah. my body's way of saying it could not sustain what it was being asked to do anymore. Of course, I didn't have that insight at the time. That just hit me hard. Because, just a side note real quick. That hit me hard because that's how I was when I was like drowning in diet culture. Mm. So that was just my side note. I apologize. Keep no, going. I, that one, yours hit me. I have a very, yeah. yeah. Yes. I think that was very important because I know from my own work you're not the only one. Yeah. People, I mean, I, those, these are the people that I work with. So I, I felt like I needed to say something because it's, it, it, you just like kind of reached into my chest and went boop to my heart. <laughs> so yes, yeah. yes, it's the, and you make an excellent point because in sharing this, this, my particular experience is called dogma, doctrine, Yours is diet, but this is the human experience that what we're describing can be applied to whatever the thing is, whatever yeah. is someone's dogma or someone's diet, whatever that thing is, this is the experience of it. You're, you go in so intensely on it and it's so misaligned, but you're ignoring all the signs and you don't understand that there does come a point when it completely falls apart and you find yourself completely disillusioned, not even understanding that it has anything to do with that. And you're facing this point of rebuilding something that you have never seen before. Yeah. Mm. And that's exactly where the next leg of this journey took me. So on the day-to-day -day things um, around my house, it felt really normal. Um, like getting up in the morning and reading my Bible, as I described to you, praying, having this quiet prayer time. Now I walk in my kitchen and I kind of didn't know what to do with myself, like wake up, get my coffee, go sit with my Bible. And all of a sudden, like, I don't know what to do with myself. Very similar to if you have all these diet rules and you walked into a kitchen and like, there's not rules and structure and someone's not telling you what to eat and you can just eat whatever you want. And that would feel really like, almost disillusioning, like it's total yeah. freedom and terrifying at the same time, because like, someone's not telling, like, I didn't, like, someone's not telling me precisely what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. And so there were a lot of things. So my children were um, middle school age ish at the time. So in real time, the mom who for their whole life has them praying before bed is micromanaging everything they watch, look at, see, hear, encounter, and makes them sit down and eat as a family. And we have to say grace is not asking any of that. She's not coming in my room to pray with me at night. How do they, they're still going to church. Um, I personally had to take a big step back from that mom's not going to church. That's very disconcerting to a seventh grader who's been yeah. expected to do that their whole life. And I don't know that I really have answers. And of course, there were so many details to this. The, the biggest thing that I can say is that it unfolded. It unfolded in ways that I could never, ever expect. So in short, the initial action that I got home was, when I got home was reached out to a Christian counselor. And interestingly enough, this Christian counselor would play a really big role 
in that he essentially, his first suggestion to me was that I just step back a little bit. Mm. He said, um, and he actually told me that people that I wasn't their only client, even in that week, who was experiencing this. And what I was experiencing was something that they see often as a byproduct of what he called like take like too much, like trying to take all this spiritual stuff and make so much of it that it ends up just feeling like a big gibberish mess in your head and so it was actually through him. So I really want to point that out because the universe is so phenomenal that like the thing that seemed scary and I didn't want anything to do with was Christianity. And ultimately this Christian counselor was would pay, play a huge part in actually helping me move towards my healing. And so that's what's so beautiful and so synchronistic um, about so many things. And so he encouraged me to just step back a little bit maybe not go to all the Bible studies and maybe not do all the things. And it it felt like permission. It felt like permission to go, okay. Because I felt felt afraid. I felt like I was breaking the rules. You can't just not go to church. You can't just not open your Bible. That's so unchristian. Like I felt like I was breaking all the rules that I stood for. And so when another Christian who seems to be kind of the expert is telling you that that might actually help with your healing. That gave me some margin. I started to step back a little bit from the things that I had so saturated myself in. Mm. And it tipped off a journey of being able to step back and think outside of a dogma and a doctrine and really evaluate myself and what I believed. And it would be a journey that would take a couple of years. I would have no idea at that time what I was signing on for. And as I started to step back from one thing, I started to realize that wasn't the end of the world. Like I didn't like there, it was okay. I didn't go to Bible study. It was kind of okay. And I started to have be like, it was okay more and more. Um, like I didn't have all this self punishment for not doing it. So even just having that much margin open up where I did something and then there wasn't this influx of massive self-punishment gave me just like a little bit of breathing room and a little bit of breathing room. And pretty soon my thoughts started to get clearer and clearer and they were in a healthier place again. So as I am grappling with the healing because day-to-day life didn't end people now, now remember there was people at work. Why aren't you at work? Well, I was back at work, but now people at church are like, where have you been? We haven't seen you. Why aren't you going to Bible study? I'm Mm -hmm. having to manage that. I still have kids that are like, how come we are, we're going to church and you're not. And I don't know what to tell them. I don't know what to tell them what I believe. I don't know. I don't know. And I didn't want to talk about the Bible. I didn't want to talk about Jesus. I didn't want to talk about church. I was so turned off by the experience with the um, the person at his house that I just remember thinking, if that's Christianity, I don't want anything to do with it. I don't want anything to do with that. I was so unsettled by the whole idea. And I didn't know what to do with that. I didn't know what to do with that. So then my mind is saying these things to me like, oh, you're just one person and you think that you have the answer against 2000 years of history. And uh, who are you to think outside of this? And I had a lot of internal stuff. But what happened then is I had, my mind would be really busy and I didn't know exactly what to do. I still felt a lot of the fear. So to mitigate some of that, I would pick up books or listen to things. And I, so I just kind of went headfirst into those podcasts that I told you before that I had found so much, you know, relief in, in the past. So I'm trying to fill my day. So 
rather than being in my own head and listening to all the chaos when I'm getting ready in the morning, I'm just podcasting after podcasting, you know, and doing things that make me feel like, okay, I can, I can grasp that. And I put me in a different state of mind. And it was helping to counter some of the chaos that was my world that I didn't know how to stop the chaos. I didn't know how to shift. I really didn't. And in this um, time, I was listening to Lewis Howes, and you probably are familiar with him, the School of Greatness, or your listeners might be. Mm. And he, I was getting ready one morning, and I, before I go into the Lewis Howes um, experience, I want to point out how lonely and isolating this was, because I've now pulled back. Um, remember, the Christian counselor is just asking me to pull back a little bit and not be so involved. I kind of decide the more I pulled back, actually, the better I felt. And so I turned that into my own personal hiatus. I kind of pulled, it's like started with this and started with this. And then I pulled back from everything. And I just thought I'm going to sit this on the sidelines until I can figure out what is up and what is down. And I can be sure that I can function in my job. Remember, I have a pretty stressful job. I work in an operating room. I'm registered nurse. I'm giving drugs through IVs. I am. I have to be able to focus yeah. my attention while I'm at work. And I have to know that I'm safe. So everyone on the other end of me is safe. And so the more I pulled back, the less I had to um, in real time, go, what do I need to do with this? Like, right. Like I'm in the face, say I'm sitting in church and I don't know what to do. That's in eating mental energy. So to preserve some of that energy for the sake of my focus, I took myself out of situations where I was face to face with it and trying to figure it out in real time. So, um, with this, then now my church friends don't know what's going on. Where have you been? We're praying for you. How come you're not coming? What's going on? Why aren't you at church? And if any of your listeners have ever been very inundated in the Christian culture, why haven't you been at church is a much more loaded question than just like, hey, haven't seen you at the gym for a week. It's a very different, why aren't you at church? There's this feeling in the background that, you know, Amanda's really, um, we're losing her essentially. The enemy has a yeah. hold of her is common language. The enemy has got her. Um Yeah, I was gonna ask, is it more of a where have you been? Like, are you okay? Or was it more of a where have you been, young lady? Um, I would say it wasn't either of those. It was okay. more in the Christian in my remember, and I'm always speaking to myself because I'm understanding very clearly that my experience is not everyone's experience. Right. of Christianity. And I'm, so I don't want to generalize this. I'm speaking solely to my experience. Um, throughout my Christian experience, there was always teaching on like the signs that someone is slipping away. So you'll, you'll be in a sermon and say, you know, you'll hear, you've been taught this, that, you know, it's people don't make a decision to walk away from God in a day. You'll start to see signs. They'll start, you know, church attendance will be a little less. They won't seem as involved with their Bible study. You're coached Mm. from the beginning, right? And so I could, I knew that everything we'd always been trained to recognize as the warning signs that someone is, quote, walking away from God, I was exhibiting them. So they legitimately are like, what's going on? Mm. Where have you been? Haven't seen you. Right. And so that's still real time. I don't have answers for them and I'm kind of avoiding them in a sense. Um, So with this coming back now to the reason I bring that up is because it was so isolating. I didn't want to tell anybody at work what was happening. And remember in our number uh, part one, I was saying like work had kind of, I'd kind of become alien. I'd alienated myself in a sense because I was kind of bizarre. I told you like, I didn't really fit into the work group. I wasn't like going out with them on Saturday night. Right. So they weren't my close people. This is the most intimate thing I can imagine happening to me. My coworkers are not going to be who I'm going to go to. Plus they kind of know me as the Christian, the person who gets offended by them using four letter words or telling off color jokes. Right. So they're already kind of on eggshells around me period. And there's, 
now my Christian friends, I don't have any explanation to give them. I don't want to tell them because then that will confirm that the devil has me. And so I feel really stuck. When your grandma loves Jesus, you can't call your grandma and say, I don't know what's going on. I need help. Right. Um, And so in this very isolated space, the head talk can be busy because I'm not going to coffee with somebody to help me move my mind off of it. Right. I'm kind of alone and I don't know what to do with the alone. And the alone is intimidating in itself. So podcasters became my friends. I could listen to them all day, conversations with really interesting people. And I remember getting ready in my bathroom and listening to the School of Greatness. And Lewis House says, I'd love to welcome one of my awesome friend, Rob Bell. And I'm like, I love Rob Bell. So Rob Bell, if you're not familiar, is um, an author, speaker, and he had written several books and and he came from the Christian space. He had been a pastor. He had had a big church in California. Um, and this is kind of what I knew about Rob Bell. Years before I had read one of his books and I loved it so much. I was like, oh my gosh, this is Rob Bell guy. This is such an awesome book. And shortly after I read his book that I loved, um, and thought he was just such an incredible person. Like this was right up my alley. Like this guy's awesome. Uh, he wrote a book shortly after that, within a couple of years, and it was called Love Wins. And this book put the Christian world in a tailspin. The idea of Love Wins. So Rob was a Christian pastor. He wrote a book and it's called heaven, hell, and the fate of every person who's ever lived. And when the book came out, it essentially, the book questioned the validity of the Christian doctrine on the teaching of hell. And when you began to look at the words and the actual breakdown of the words, was hell actually a physical place or was it a state imposed by suffering? Mm. Well, I was very much in the middle of my evangelical Christian at the time that this book came out. I didn't ever read the book because we were warned. He is a heretic. He is a heretic. And that's the worst possible label that can be put on you if you're Christian, that heresy, that is like the ultimate sin. He is the heretic and he became known as the heretic. I am talking about the Billy Graham Foundation issuing statements about him. Churches are stepping up having to answer what their thoughts are on this Rob Bell. This is on Good Morning America, CBS News. This is all over. The church is, the capital C church is in an uproar over this guy. Rob Bell is dangerous. This is dangerous teaching. This is of the enemy. This is how you get a new age spin. And I remember just being like, oh, dang, I really liked that guy. And then it was no Rob Bell. Like I never read his book. I didn't Mm -hmm. because... He's a heretic. Like, you can't just say there's, you can't just question whether there's a hell. And so, no Rabel. So, that had been, I think he wrote that book, um, forgive me, Rabel or any of your fans, I think like in 2009 or 10. I'm really not sure. I don't remember because this is all happening to me in 2019. He's being interviewed by Lewis Howes. And I am. Everything that Rob Bell was talking about was spirituality and um, just a loving planet and uh, just love as the capital L, like just the capital L love. And I am so taken by this interview. I felt like he was my brother. I cannot describe the connection. And I think people can Mm -hmm. understand this when they really connect to somebody. I'm like, I don't know who you are, but you've been in my closet. All the things I had nowhere to go with, he was talking about. It was like, wait, I never told anybody that. How do you know that? How do you know that? Mm. It was so connected. And on the podcast, he was talking about his most recent book. Actually, Lewis House brought it up. He said, I read your book, Everything is Spiritual. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And I want your listeners to understand this might be like 
I feel like I had gone to Tony Robbins in March and this is listening to Rob Bell. I feel like this maybe was in the fall. Like so much has happened. Like I'm still processing everything. Um, and I'm like, Oh my gosh. Um, maybe September ish, uh, somewhere in there. Um, because all of this happens over time. Another big thing I want your listeners to know, it sounds like, Oh, then this happened and this happened. Like all this processing, just like grieving, you know, when people have lost someone, you can tell a story and it sounds like you just jumped from one event to another, but the amount of energy and exhaustion of grieving someone like, Oh, that was after six months of grieving. That was, that was seven months in, you know, the, it all feels very similar to that. And looking back, I was grieving an identity. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know who I was anymore without being the Christian mom. And anyway, so I hear Rob Bell and I'm like, I, I just knew I'm like, I have to get this book. So through a series of events, I would end up, I went to Barnes and Nobles, which I would never do. Like, usually I'm just like 30 seconds later, like on Amazon, let's get this spot. I don't know what the deal was, but like some weeks passed and I went to Barnes and Nobles, which is a 45 minute drive from me. I don't even know why. And that's, what's so cool about all of this. And I really want it to be like the take home is like all these things unfold. You don't know why. And you really don't have to. So I went to yeah. Barnes and Nobles and remember like this book has been out for a while and they're like, we can't get that book. What? Yeah. It's, and it was going to be like a couple months, like January or something. And I'm like, what? So weird. So I, my normal response would just been like, well, I could have just went to robbell.com or I could have just got on Amazon. So they're like, do you want us to order it? And I'm like, well, I guess. So weird. Why would I do that? So because they didn't have the book, they said, well, we have a couple other titles of his, which I read. I got, I said, sure, send me those. And I ended up reading Velvet Elvis and Love Wins. And it was in these books that I, after, this was about 20 months later of just such isolating pain and loneliness and confusion. Mm. I had in my hands a book by someone who had also been in the Christian scene who wrote a book on when was it unsafe to start asking questions. And his entire work is an exploration of questions that what about this? And what about this? And in language, and it really pointed out um, when you look at the root of the word that is used and you actually go back to the Greek and the Hebrew of that word, it's it, it actually kind of has a different meaning. So is it the book or is it the translation, right? And so it, it began to, um, his entire work had been around questions. And he actually has a quote that I've used several times in my social media content. And it says, questions aren't scary. What's scary is a faith that leaves no room for them. Mm. And he just was like, hey, if this is the meaning of this word, and if we look back to Judaism, everything in Judaism is about questions. And as a matter of fact, that's how they teach their children. So if you said to me, Amanda, what is four plus three? I would ask you, Katie, what is six plus one? And you would say back to me, well, what's nine minus two? And that is actually their way of teaching. So we're question, question, question back and forth. And so Rob Bell's question that he posed was Christianity is based on the idea that this is a fulfillment of Judaism. So Judaism was waiting for a Messiah. Christianity's doctrine says the Messiah has come. Therefore, Judaism is fulfilled. And Rob Bell's question is then what happened to the tradition of asking questions how did a tradition built on asking questions become a doctrine of answers that says to all the world's questions, we have the answer. Don't question our answer, accept our answer. And so what happened, and of course there were so many background events, right? But I 
had this book and I laid my head on my desk and I sobbed uncontrollably because this was no longer an either or. I didn't have to feel like I couldn't have anything to do with the Bible. I didn't have to feel like all of that was um, a, it didn't feel either or. All of a sudden it was Mm -hmm. something I could look at and I had the freedom to look at with my own eyes. And based on the words, I could see how some of its meaning could take different shapes, but simply because someone taught me their shape did not make it the only potential shape. That's big. That's really big. Big. And so this thing that like, if I looked at church, remember I was telling you, made me really nervous and I want to do with it. Now all of a sudden I could go, whoa, they're just taking their framework. It's just their framework around words and I have space for that. I don't think that I, you know, I don't, I'm going to take back my words. I don't, I no longer see it through the same framework, mm-hmm. but like my framework, like if their framework was like this, like mine's a one, like two frame sizes bigger. So that's okay. I have room for them to have their framework within my new framework. And so then um, what happened? My life radically, radically changed. I mean, radically, I saw the world so differently. And in the background, some really significant things were happening in the background. When I came back and I was in the fetal position and I couldn't go to work, I knew that I had been in a job I had hated for far too long. I physically almost couldn't go there anymore. So over the period of this time, in the background, what has also happened is I have left my job. My husband, around this same time, I had been at Tony Robbins in March. We'd already were planning. In June, he left his day job and launched an excavation business. I saw myself continuing to work at my government job for you know another two to five years and kind of figure out what I was going to do with my life. But with the shutdown in my body, it became clear that I couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. And so we had just launched a brand new business in June and there goes your health insurance, all your benefits, all of those things. And in that following August, I had left my government job. Now we both do not, right? He has a business. I left, I went into real estate. What makes this significant is that had opened a huge door to me because In the world of real estate, everybody has a production coach, a business coach, everyone has a personal coach. And I'm like, this has been here the whole time. What's really important is that I had wanted to go into real estate for five years, and I had always suppressed that part of myself, calling it irresponsible. Mm. Looking back, I realized that I was spiritually suppressing myself. Spirit had been nudging me all along. I had been pushing it down out of fear. I lived in so much fear. So while all these things are happening, my life is like radically changing. Remember, my kids don't have answers. We don't know. We don't have health insurance or any of those things anymore. We went from being two employees to my husband being self-employed. Now I'm in real estate. I'm also self-employed and I'm trying to figure out all the spiritual stuff in the background. Who am I and where do I even fit in all of this? But what I was happening, I was physically getting stronger. Um, I always describe it as almost reverse aging. I started to actually look younger. Um, I had a lot more energy. I was so expressive. In my former life, I had to go to the operating room, hair up, no earrings, couldn't have my nails done. Uh, I would go to work in workout clothes, just look greasy and gross. I hated it. Leave there. Never have good eye contact because I was self-conscious about how I looked. Those were just parts of working in the operating room. You can't have much makeup. You can't have earrings. You obviously can't have things falling into the field. You can't have nail polish to trap any germs. Um, Your hair has to be up and back. I'd always known that I was this really feminine, really feminine person um, who liked makeup and earrings and big hair and um, like really high heels, like stilettos, but I never had those things. I never wore them. I never did that because remember, I was terrified of the sin of vanity. Mm, Yeah. But as I came into real estate, guess what? 
I need to have my jacket and my heels and my like be put together. And I felt so alive and it was so easy to be me. Like it was so easy. This, it all was so natural. And I was surrounded by people who had these ideas about coaches and they had their own personal coaches. So that then as this is happening, it, I loved real estate and it was one of my absolute favorite times of my entire life, but it also opened the door for me to realize all that stuff that I had thought about years before in that whole coach thing, it was actually the coaching that I loved. Mm. So real estate then became the launch pad for coaching. And I stepped back from real estate and I it was like, you know, my real passion is teaching people, is coaching, is like coming one-on-one beside them. And so my work as a coach started much like yours in kind of a health and fitness space. That was really my passion. Like, as I had mentioned, because I came, like, Rick, I came from like nursing, like really like the, the key to health is like how you think and I can help you. And like, truly like sugar is not bad because it's like inherently bad. What makes sugar a challenge is because of how foggy it makes your thinking. So if we don't worry about like sugar because of my waistline, we just realize like sugar is one of the things that fogs my thinking and can really make me emotional. Mm-hmm. Then by by eating foods that are more wholesome, I'm not, I don't care about my waistline. What I care about is like how quickly I can think on my feet and how emotionally stable I feel. So I haven't demonized sugar. I can have as much of it as I want. Just like considering what do I need to get done today? Like, do I want it or not? Zero to do with how much I weigh. Yeah. So as I began working with clients around this, so food um, was a big one. Um, And food is not a food issue. Food is an emotions thing. Food is not someone that has some inability to say no. Let's just debunk that right now. Food is a relationship. Mm-hmm. And um, as I always say, we can quit cocaine and never go anywhere near it. We can quit alcohol and never go to a bar again and get different friends that don't drink, but we can't quit food ever, 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 ever the way we can yeah. cocaine or alcohol. So we have to be in relationship. So when we look at food as just like a relationship, Like, Mm -hmm. whoa, this is a relationship that's crying out for help. Like it just wants to be healthy. The relationship wants to be healthy. And this is its help cry. So I begin working with people around this and what starts happening in this really organic way that there's no way I could have studied from for this. The only word that I can (laughs) describe it as is almost like channeling was I would hear my own voice starting to reference the scripture in a way that is not how, like, I would be in the middle of a coaching thing and I would say, well, perfect love casts out fear. So what's a perfect love? It's the absolute healthiest relationship. Would you agree that in a perfect love, you've got the epitome of your health. That's the healthiest relationship you can have with someone is a perfect love. If there's mm-hmm. no imperfections. Yeah. They, they could agree to that. And I would say, well, if a perfect love casts out fear in the Bible, the word fear means consequence or punishment. So I know I'm in the healthiest of relationship to something when there's no room to think about the consequence. Like I'm not doing it because I'm afraid that, well, if I eat this, I'm afraid that I'm going to get fat. Well, now I'm gauging the health of my relationship because if it's based on what I'm afraid of happening, I'm not in a healthy relationship. Jesus said that we were going to have life and have it to the full. So to have a full life, I want to, what would make my life full? I'm in a healthy relationship with something when I know I'm doing this because it makes my life fuller. So now instead of not eating sugar, because I'm afraid that I'm going to get fat. Okay. Or that that's not on, that's not in the rules. I can immediately know because there's punishment, right? There's an element of punishment and like what I'm afraid of happening. I now have a gauge. I'm not in a healthy relationship. When I say I'm eating oranges because they're really nutritious. Now I'm in a healthy relationship. Yeah. There's no way I could practice for this, but I'm coaching and I say, well, perfect love casts out fear. And I'll just, it's like, I'm a, I could hear myself explaining these things. Um, 
And then as more and more of my work, um, a lot of, because now I didn't tell you what to eat. We just worked on a mindset in that experience. What happened was these things were pouring over into like all these other things that were people going on in people's lives. And so I started to, I would be in coaching calls and just be utterly shocked. I would get off the phone and just think what happened there? I have no idea what just happened there. (laughs) Um, so people would be going through things in their life and I would say things like, well, you're in the desert, you know, you could stay at that job. You could stay in that relationship that you know, it isn't healthy. That's Egypt, right? That's, that's when the Israelites left Egypt and they had to cross the desert to go to the promised land. What's Egypt? It's the place that's safe. It's like you feel stuck. You're in slavery, but you know what's going to happen every day. You know exactly what to expect. So there's a level of safety. Guess what? When you can't take it anymore, that's what happened to the Israelites. Like if one thing happened, like there were frogs and there were plagues and like things were dying and the crops were destroyed. Like it's symbolic of like one crappy things happen and another crappy things happen. And pretty soon the crappy things are getting closer and closer together. It feels like every day I'm up against something else, right? How long can I make it in here? That is decision time. And you have to cross the desert because there's literally no promised land without a desert. So now you have Israelites who go across the desert. They really didn't know the plan. So they have something that's kind of foggy, kind of like doesn't really have much shape, but they feel like they're supposed to follow it. And in the Bible, they called that a cloud. Mm. Israelites follow it a cloud, something foggy that doesn't have much shape that you can't really explain, but something in you is telling you to follow it. So it's in the desert where you're totally exposed, right? I think the word desert is super symbolic because you're totally exposed. It means I don't have anywhere to hide. This is really kind of public. I'm kind of out here. There's nowhere to hide. I'm kind of in. There's snakes at my feet. I don't freaking know where my bread is coming from, right? Leaving a job. Your husband just left his job. I don't know. But guess what, guys? In the desert, that's where the cool shit happens. That's where the manna falls from the sky and water runs from rocks and freaking seas part. And you could have never, ever planned it. Ever. You got to cross the desert to get to the promised land. Promised land means the place to plant my feet, the place where I plant my feet. So if you're feeling totally stuck, the journey across to the place where you're you and you're aligned and what I got to experience, how natural I felt as somebody who could totally be herself and just be so feminine and realize that all that shut down in my body was all of that being pushed down and pent up. And as soon as I released that, my body didn't have to be sick anymore because all that expression of who Amanda was could now free flow. It came with a lot of pain. Yeah. So there's a word for that desert space and it's called liminal space. It's called liminal space and it liminal comes from the Latin word threshold, which means I'm not in one room. I've left one room, but I'm not totally in the next room. And so it's this idea of in between. And so that's where my work has evolved to now is I call myself, like I say, I specialize in liminal space. My particular approach is from a mind, body, spirit. Those are, that's what I know. I know how your body operates. I have spent a lot of time studying neuropsychology and I'm very rooted in the psychological story of spirituality. And that's what I would encourage people to look at the Bible as a poem. When you can remove the dogma and doctrine that got imposed on it. So I have no religious affiliation anymore whatsoever. But when I look at the story of the Israelites, I go, oh my gosh, that's a human experience. When I hear myself saying perfect love casts out fear, I go, oh my gosh, that's a human experience. That's the gauge. How healthy, if I'm constantly in fear of what I don't want to happen, that indicates consequence. Well, I'm so scared of that happening. The real, when I realize the less don'ts that I have, the healthier my relationship and that I want to be life to the full, well, that means full expression of myself. So some doctrine that taught me to suppress myself and to hold back is actually what made me sick. And when I realized that that was a play on words that was incorrect, and that this entire story is the actual outline of the functioning of the human mind, 
the sky's the limit. And that's where I'm at. It's what I do now. It's my coaching. It's my world. I just like, I got a lump in my throat when you said that. <laughs> that is so <laughs> awesome. And back to what you were saying, like the in-between phase, my my mom used to say, like, if I was in that that space, she'd say, you're in the hallway. Yes. Yes. So like, I don't know what door I'm going to go through, but I'm in a hallway and for now I'm okay just being right here. The hall- And it's terrifying. And that's where yeah. I don't know anyone else's journey, but I've walked with a lot of people across the desert. So it's like being the guide on the side. Like if you find yeah. yourself in that space, this is now what I do. Mm. I love it. This is, I'm so in awe of your story. <laughs> yeah I really think it's gonna help a lot of people and like I was telling you last time my husband's in this you know search for truth and you know he's he's watching all kinds of things on um just people talking about the bible in a way that he's never um thought about it before and so I think this is gonna be really helpful I'm definitely gonna um uh, guide him to the author was it rob bell rob bell rob mm-hmm. bell okay and i'll post all his stuff in the show notes too yes definitely do yeah so are you still in real estate too or are you just coaching now just coaching exclusively nice. coaching yeah and i wish that you know the podcast had the capacity for the full story and the thing is as much as i would love to share that no one's is going to be the same no one's yeah. is going to be the same. And the huge, huge, huge takeaway that I would just want for your listeners is that it does unfold. If mm-hmm. I could tell you all the synchronicities and all the things that led to, as a matter of fact, if you don't mind, Katie, I'm just want to share one more thing. It's yeah, actually go for it. pertinent to this is in reading the Rob Bell books and an experience, the huge breakthrough that could take another episode just describing what happened to me in reading the books. I had to like, had to not like just a little bit of a desire. I had to tell him like, I'm like, he needs to know, like my life is so radically different than anything I've ever known. I have got to find a way to tell this man, thank you in some way, shape or form. So I went on the Rob Bell hunt for contact me an email, contact the author, um, leave a note on our website, nothing. The guy is, it's so tight. I, I would later learn because of the death threats on him. Oh, for writing yeah. Material that makes that sense. Wrote. yeah. So as this is all unfolding in 2021, the day came, um, I got finally everything is spiritual came. I highly recommend that. Um, if someone is kind of just starting out, not sure, quite sure what to do with the Bible, I would start with love wins and do everything is spiritual after love wins. Um, that will be a much easier path. Um, it'll just make a lot more sense, but, um, anyway, I had the most healing time of my life. The book is so stained with tears. Everything is spiritual. There's notes written all over it. And what is really profound is my husband kept saying, I would read passages and I, of of the book, everything is spiritual. And he would say, Oh my gosh, you've all, you talk about that. You talk about that. Here's this guy who lives in Los Angeles and you guys know I live in South Dakota. And it was like someone on the outside, my husband going, he wrote exactly what you were talking about. Yeah. So there were all these, what I'm trying to illustrate is I was getting insights that I just never heard anyone talk about before. And now here's someone writing about him in the exact same way. But what I want, I had to find Rob Bell. I had to do it some come hell or high water. I needed to find Rob Bell so I could tell him thank you because it was so radically different. Radical is a small word. So this opportunity came because people were coming off of COVID 2020 into 2021. Rob Bell was hosting these like Zoom calls where you could go in and it was like, ask Rob Bell anything. I'm like, what? And they were like (laughs) taking like limited slots. And so what understands all these synchronicities would have had to unfold for me to find that to be one of the people who got one of the limited slots. Okay. And in that call, I think there were like six of us on that call. 
there was someone in the room that I was just like really drawn to. Once again, I was like, I think this guy's like my brother. Like, I think that I know this guy, like on a soul level, like there's a guy in the Zoom call and I'm just blown away. I'm like, this guy's saying everything that I say. And you could ask Rob Bell anything. You could ask him about your life. You could, you could, it was at, it was literally called ask Rob Bell. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so I got to tell Rob Bell, I didn't care what that call was. I said, I got on this call, tell you, thank you. And of course I just break down and I have the call recorded, which is super special to me. Um, and we had such an amazing um, interaction and encouragement from him, but to the bigger picture, then it, that's amazing enough. This person on the call, uh, like the day after that, I felt like really connected to this person. I got a friend request from this person on social media and his name was Chris. And I'm like, oh yeah, cool. And we connected and we started to talk and his experience had been very similar. We became friends because now I had one friend in the world and he lived in Washington people. I live in Seattle or excuse <laughs> me, he lives in Washington. I live in South Dakota. And um, it was like this person, like all of these things had to go for me to like, now I actually had like a literal friend in the world who could understand yeah. he love Christianity. He had had this experience. He was seeing the universe in a much more spiritual form, left the dogma and we could connect. Now I want to tell you this part because then he was actually doing something in his world and business that he invited me into. And I participated in that for like a year or more in there. I became friends with someone who became very special to me, a very great friend to me, and would become a huge person in my life who lives on the total opposite side of the country, who then invited me into the coaching program where I met you, Katie. <laughs> I love it. So yeah, everyone out there, there's people like me that can support you in the very painful journey. If support feels like something you're seeking, um, we are, I didn't even know what to Google. And that's why I wanted to fill the gap. Will I go to hell if I think about this differently? What happens if I leave Christianity? I was absolutely terrified of hell. And I've ever since then, I want to be the person who stood in the gap so that if somebody was Googling, will I go to hell? If I quit believing in the Bible, like I thought that hopefully they would see my name and be like, well, let's have a conversation about that. What are you afraid of? Um, that was a space that I was looking to fill. So there is that there is support. There are the Amanda's of the world. I don't know how you find them, but I'm here. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the next part that I would say is coach or no coach. It does unfold. So when you tell me your husband's watching this or thinking about this, the most common feedback that I get is I have never thought about that verse like that. All the years I went to church, I've never heard anyone tell me or say it like that. And I just get the download. Like I didn't go study that or think about how I could say that different. Yeah. I just already have the seeing and I'll say perfect love casts out fear. Right. And I'm all of a sudden I'm giving a lecture on perfect love casts out fear. I've never been taught that. It's just what I yeah. saw all along. And so people be like, I've never thought about it that way. And they get to have a different relationship with anything, even in a marriage. I don't want to, well, I just do this because if I say that, then he's just going to be mad. Well, now we just gauged the health of your marriage. If all your actions are from what you're afraid of happening versus what are you doing that makes the marriage, like that leads to a filling marriage, right? Because yeah. we want to have life and have it to the full. And we start, instead of suppressing, we start supplanting, which is the entire story of Jacob and Esau, by the way. But um, anyway, it does unfold. So seek, listen. Don't be afraid to listen to those podcasts that do support you. Um, watch the YouTube videos and don't feel like you have to memorize everything. That was something else. I felt like, oh my gosh, I have to memorize everything this person's yeah. saying. Your subconscious mind, whether you know it or not, if you're putting yourself in front of that kind of information, it will start to take little bits and pieces that when you're driving down the road one day or you're standing in the shower, those pieces that you didn't even know in your mind will start coming together in their own way. And you'll get your own revelations that you didn't even know were there. Also know that the feeling really crazy later on, I would learn that as people go through a spiritual awakening, there's a literal phase called the spiritual schizophrenia, right? Mm -hmm. And that was learning that was even more confirming to me because I'm like, that was the word I kept using. And I was scaring myself as a nurse yeah. trying to diagnose myself. And now being on this side, that was super synchronistic. Um, 
that's actually the term they use. Of all the wor- words in the world that I could have picked when I was in that, I was terrified of being schizophrenic. I now understand that like there's this period where it feels almost schizophrenic. Like my thoughts are so busy. I don't know what to do with them. I don't even know who I am. Um, normal. And the final mm-hmm. piece that I would give everyone is if you're on this journey, you're already emotionally healthy. <clears throat> you don't feel like it and you feel scared and you think, oh my gosh, I'm emotionally a wreck and I'm a mess and I don't even know what this lady's talking about. I would say you're here for a reason. There's This is no accident. You're not hearing this for any accident. This is impossible. And the fact that you're even feeling the emotional mess means you're emotionally healing. I love that. Now, I always end with a question and I feel like you might have already answered it, um, but m- maybe on a deeper level. So I'm just going to ask. If you had one piece of advice that you could give to the world, what would it be? The highest act that you can do, the absolute reason you are on this planet is to express to the fullest. It is literally the purpose to set the captives free. The splendor of a king to set the captives free means anything inside of you that feels like it is in there, the entire point is to express it in its fullness. Beautiful. Ladies and gentlemen, Amanda Lurs signing off. Until next time. Boom. Boom.